So uh, we've been going through a series the last couple of weeks called Saving Power. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been covering uh, chapters 8 and 9. We are on the snail's pace uh, towards completion. Once we hit the halfway mark of Matthew, it'll actually start to cascade a bit uh, just because things kind of roll a lot faster as things progress. But we've been looking specifically at uh, some examples where Jesus, he had his Sermon on the Mount, and he, he had this great teaching moment, you know, this great big revelation of like, wow, Jesus, he can talk a really big talk and is so profound and so powerful and so not like what we're used to. Um, and then he comes down off the mountain and we start to see uh, as he goes back home to Capernaum, uh, we get to see how he interacts with people and how they encounter more of who he is, um, that there is some kind of greater revelation about, about uh, this saving power that he possesses that's unlike anything they've ever experienced before and how that, uh, that foreshadows um, the reality that Jesus is bringing about through um, through his ministry, through the cross, and through his uh, being raised from the dead. All right, so that's been the series. We've covered uh, a couple of different people. I'm not going to take the time to unpack each and every one, but um, God is on the move. Uh, he was back then, and he is today, um, and I believe that that saving power uh, that people experienced back then, although with you know the physical you know, presence of Jesus right there, um, you know, that same power is here for us today to experience as well. Um, and so you can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is just simply Saved. Uh, saved. Um, our passage is going to be Matthew 9, uh, verses 20 through 22. Um, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that Jesus willingly meets the broken to make them whole. Jesus willingly meets the broken to make them whole. Uh, you can go to the next slide. So we all have been through the pandemic uh, in our own way, maybe some of us here in town. I experienced it up in Portland, which has a much higher concentration of people. Um, the church I served at, uh, at the onset of the pandemic, um, we were in the most densely populated part, ironically, of Portland. And so we had like the highest cases and there was no going back to normal for a long, long time. Um, but through that whole experience, as I'm sure you can attest to as well, it felt a little different than normal, to say the least. And one of the ways, specifically for me, was going to the grocery store. Um, growing up, my mom was more cautious on the germ side of things, where she, you know, and she trained me as such. And so I already had a certain idea of hygiene when it, when it came to going grocery shopping. Um, but I suddenly found myself kind of afraid and like me my in my own self that I was just this unclean person that I, I couldn't help but be unclean because even my breath without even knowing it me just feeling fine 
I could be a carrier of that, of that. And I'm kind of, I'm not meaning to make light of that situation, but I'm trying to just bring some levity to it. But that was a wild experience where like even, so even if I had my mask on, you know, being all, you know, compliant or whatever, if I went up and touched my mask, I soiled my mask. Or like if, or I found like, because it just irritated my nose, like I would just pull it out <laughs> to try to breathe a little bit. And then it would just go back down. And I'm like, is this really sanitary? I don't know. The CDC, they have their different perspective of things. And I don't know about all that. I'm probably going to get flagged on Facebook just for mentioning all of this and, you know, how that goes. But that was a really weird situation. And it was also really weird because it was the first time for me for an extended period of time that I got to see what life was like for some of the people in the Bible. Um, I've lived a relatively sheltered life. Uh, you know, things have been relatively okay for me. I've had my ups and downs, and God's been faithful through it. But I've never experienced something quite like that. Um, and that feeling of like, there's something wrong with me, and I don't even know it, but, and everybody else is afraid of me, and I'm afraid of them, and it's, it's just this weird tension. Um, and I think for all of us, so that's an easy example, but there's also examples in our lives where we have, the, it's possible that we have a hard time relating to people who feel isolated. Um, Maybe it's because we're social creatures. Maybe, maybe through the whole pandemic, you felt more isolated because literally you had to hole up in your house and you couldn't really go anywhere. And thank God we, we're on the other side of some things and we're able to kind of emerge and, and, and come together again. I know here you guys had gathered more uh, than I got to up, up north. And so... Um, but all that to say, sometimes I think we have a hard time relating to those people who feel isolated, or maybe you might be one of them who does feel isolated. All the same, our passage today is going to be about somebody who had been experiencing isolation for 12 years. That's a really long time. I got a notification on Facebook that there was a post that I made like 12 years ago and I was in college and I thought, that was not that long ago. What is, what's going on with the world? Time flies. And so I digress. This morning, uh, we're going to be taking a look at what the Bible has to say because ultimately today, uh, we're going to be seeing um, Jesus as specifically as a healer, as you know, and as a fulfill, fulfilled, fulfilled embodiment of the Lord as our healer. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Right now, we're going to just kind of blast through a bunch of scriptures. So stick with me. It's going to be good in the end. Uh, but here we go. So there's this passage in Exodus. It's right after they've crossed through the Red Sea. They're on the other side. They just sang this really amazing song. It's fantastic in the earlier part of chapter 15. You can look it up on your own. But starting in 22, verse 22 of chapter 15, it says this. 
Uh, then Moses led Israel, that's, that's the nation of Israel, from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, uh, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This, that is why the place is called Mara. Um, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. That's a cool trick. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All right, now continuing. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And that was a moment where God sort of named himself, where he was revealing himself to them as the Lord who heals. All right, uh, picking up in Psalm 107, uh, the psalmist writes this poem saying, uh, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thanks, thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Now, this is a psalm that uh, if you were to read the chapter heading on it, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord um, and it's a song about people who have experienced God's redemption, uh, and now they're on the other side of it, and the psalmist is uh, there, you know, kind of coaxing them and exhorting them, saying, come on, let's praise the Lord for this redemption. And specifically in verse 20, it talks about, he sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Isn't that amazing? All right, next slide. All right, from the prophet Jeremiah chapter 30. Uh, some of the context of this is that um, God had exiled the people from the land of Israel. Um, I'm sorry if this feels a little spacey. I promise it's going to be okay. Uh, but so the Lord, he, he allowed for nations to, you know, come and conquer uh, the nation of Israel and drive them out. Um, and now there's this moment where, and that was all because of uh, the sin that they had committed as a nation, uh, you know, letting their heart wander from God. Now, this is what God is saying through Jeremiah to, to the people to encourage them about what will one day take place. He says, this is what the Lord says, your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you, they care nothing for you. I have struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Next slide. There we go. Continuing on. Verse 15. Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that has no cure, because of your great guilt and many sins? I have done these things to you, but all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. 
Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. I didn't even know that was a word, but that's awesome. Okay, verse 17, here we go. Here's the money. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion, for whom no one cares. Now, there's a lot in there uh, that we don't have time to cover today. But the important thing is that God is telling the people, saying, I will be your healer. I will bring you healing. And he's calling them to have that trust in him. All right, bringing it on home. Now, uh, Malachi. Uh, this is the last prophetic book right before the New Testament. Uh, this is actually the very last chapter. Uh, and it says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant, every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays." And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, what's important about this, there's a couple of things that work here. Number one, in the, the chapter heading for this, it's a section that's all talking about this idea of the day of the Lord, when God would come and set all things right. And there's a lot in there, but... Uh, what is in verse 2, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. That word for rays is actually, uh, in some translation, it, it's called wings. Uh, <laughs> if you have the old King James, it's healing in its wings. Um, but that original word, it means the edge of a garment, or like it's, you know, the furthest extent of the rays of the sun that where the sun touches, that's, you know, where as the sun is rising, the rays touch, um, you know, where it shines. And so, but that's going to be important in just a moment. Okay. Uh, Going back in the Old Testament here to Numbers 15, uh, the Lord says to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. With a blue cord on each tassel, you will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and be consecrated to your God I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I'm the Lord your God. Now, what's going on here in Numbers is that God is giving them a physical reminder. How many of you, when you were growing up, uh, you tied a string around your finger? 
to remember or something as that physical reminder. I know I did, and then my mom kind of chastised me and said, like, you're going to cut your finger off. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm really not. Just trying to remember things. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I love my mom. Uh, but, you know, that physical reminder that, you know, of something. And so God is giving them some kind of physical reminder to say, to remind them of everything that God had commanded. And so he said, you know, to attach to your the edge of your garment these tassels, and that was supposed to remind you of God's law. Okay, last context verse, I promise. Next slide. I'm going to give a little context here. So the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament it's a book about uh, how to approach God in worship. And one of the chapters in there, actually a couple of chapters, talks about uh, the state of being ceremonially clean or unclean. And there's, uh, whenever you come in contact with bodily fluid of any kind, that makes you unclean. Uh, and so he, God is very thorough in how he he talks about, you know, the life of your average uh, Jew in the wilderness. And so in Leviticus 15.25, there's a lot of context, but all we have time for is this. It says, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge just as in the days of her period. Um, and so as a matter of practice, they would send the women out of the camp for, for that period of time, and then they had to go through a, a ritual process of ceremonially becoming clean, and then they could re-enter the community. Now, what all this has to do, <laughs> bringing us into today, what all this has to do with our passage is that uh, Jesus, he's in the city of Capernaum in Galilee. Uh, he's on his way to do another healing because somebody had approached him to come and heal his daughter. Um, Jesus was in transit, and he comes upon this woman who touches the edge of his garment, and we'll read about that in a moment. And what's happening here is that this healing is taking place on the way to another healing, and all this is made possible through the Messiah's saving power. Now, without further ado, let's read Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 20. 9, verse 20. Here we go. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Just or <laughs> Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Now, the first thing I see in our passage, you can go to the next slide, is that desperation inspires trust. Desperation inspires trust. So this woman, she had a condition that we read about in Leviticus 15, where she 
at some point had started that time of the month and never really stopped. And according to different commentaries and based on all the information that we have in the passage, uh, this evidently wasn't a terminal illness. This wasn't something that she was going to, uh, that she was in danger of dying from right in that moment. But what it did do is it caused her to be unclean. Dao, what does that mean? So that means that she's, uh, she's isolated from her family. Uh, she needs to be outside the camp or outside the city, right? She can't be, you know, she can't be in big crowds of people uh, because if she accidentally touches somebody, then they become unclean. Um, think pandemic uh, a little bit. You know, if you even touch something or you sneeze on somebody, uh, it could be bio-warfare <laughs> a little bit. Uh, anyway, but so this woman, she's been isolated. She's been, she's considered unclean. She's isolated from her community. This also means that she would have been isolated from going to the house of worship. She couldn't go to the temple like everybody else. She couldn't even be in, in the part of the temple that they, they, you know, sectioned off just for ladies. She couldn't even be there because she was unclean. Now, this was incurable. Uh, she had not found a cure. Uh, the other gospel writers, they go into a little bit more detail about all of that. But she had gone to great lengths to try to remedy this, and no one could help her. And so she was desperate for a cure. And that led her to, when she heard about Jesus, it may have made her think, about scriptures like we read before, certain messianic prophecies about, you know, uh, you know, God will cause the sun of righteousness to shine and the, the, um, you know, the the rays, <laughs> uh, you know, the the rays of the sun of righteousness will shine, right? The edge of the garment, and so, in faith. She just is a part of this crowd of people. She's not supposed to be there. And she reaches out and touches the edge of Jesus' garment. And what I see in that is that she's putting her trust in this, this action, in this person, to make her clean again so that she could find that restoration. And that will ultimately lead us to see that Jesus willingly meets the broken to make them whole. You can go to the next slide. All right. The other thing I see, another thing I see in our passage is completely healing brokenness. Um, that doesn't mean, as I say that, that the brokenness made her healed. Um, she was already broken. There was no cure for it. And yet she reached out in faith, believing that Jesus is this person who could completely heal her. In verse 21, uh, it even says uh, that she said to herself, we don't know if this was as she was reaching out or if she'd said this before, that if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And that word healed um, is the Greek word sozo, 
which means to save, to rescue, deliver from both physical death and sin. And so this woman in her condition, she reaches out, touches the edge of the Jesus cloak, hoping to be saved. She doesn't feel like she can even approach him, uh, that she can even, you know, cry out like the other people had cried out or, you know, be advocated for. She's all alone, and she thinks, if, if only I can just touch the edge of his cloak, touch, you know, I will experience that healing. Now, some commentators, they, you know, people who are a lot more educated than me, they point out, well, maybe this was just superstition. She was just, you know, putting her trust in this physical object of the cloak um, for her healing. I, I don't see that. You know, was it superstition? I don't think so. I think that in her reaching out for the edge of the cloak, I think it was more a lot of her shame at not at being unclean and being told that she was unclean and being so outcast that she felt like she had to say, well, not even say anything, that she just had to sneak in and try to touch the edge of Jesus' cloak as he's bustling through the crowd. And so she was trusting that God could do this, that he could completely heal her brokenness. And... But the problem was she, you know, she didn't know exactly how to go about that. You know, it, if you're unclean, you can't necessarily go to the priest to get clean. Um, he can pronounce you clean. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in that Old Testament system, you have to be clean already and be proved clean. Um, or else you're cast out even more. And so... She comes to Jesus believing that he can do this. Now, the last thing is that Jesus' word saves. Jesus' word saves. It's interesting to me, Jesus' response. Because as any uh, first century teacher, he could have gotten indignant. He could have rebuked her. He could have, uh, you know, um, he could have corrected her and said, like, how dare you touch me? You're unclean. But so far in Matthew's gospel, that's not the picture we get of Jesus, is it? Jesus just turned to her, and he said, take heart. There's that take heart again. Like with uh, the, uh, the paralyzed man uh, earlier in chapter 9. Um, take heart, daughter. It's interesting to note that that is the only time that Jesus ever calls anybody a daughter. And it's to this woman who had lost all family connection, all community connection. She was all alone and isolated, unclean. And he says, be of good cheer, be encouraged, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Now, Jesus is saying this. But in, in the context of Matthew's account, we see that she isn't healed until after Jesus has already said, your faith has healed you, which reveals to me that it's Jesus' word that ultimately saves. It's not necessarily the edge of the garment, although she had faith enough to reach out. It's not, you know, just 
any kind of superstition or, or anything that she's done on her own. It's ultimately Jesus' word. And he declares that, daughter, it's your faith that has healed you. Now, where do we go with all of that? What do we do with that? Maybe you're here today and you're not sick like this woman. Uh, you know, but maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you've become so comfortable in your brokenness that you're numb to it. You know, it could be a habit, it could be a hurt, it could be a hang-up, it could be some addiction that you're in, it could be just whatever life situation you're in that you feel stuck and you, you don't feel like you, uh, that you can even reach out to God or that you can cry out to him and so you're just reaching out in some way. Maybe that's you. The question that I have is what do you need to be saved from, physically or spiritually? Is it a physical need? I, we prayed about physical needs earlier. That's a valid need. There are people in our number today who need to be physically healed and saved in that way. Is it a spiritual healing? Are, are you here today and you there's something inside that just feels off, that feels you know just odd and just not right? The power of God that exhibited in the life of Jesus, healing these people, he can heal you. All that he asks in return is for that trust and that faith in him. And it may not be as instantaneous as, as this story, but I believe it would happen because God's word reveals situations where it does happen and we can trust in him. Where in your life are you reaching out for God to save? The truth is we all have sin in our life, uh, places where we miss the mark of God's righteousness and his goodness. We all also feel the effects of sin. We all need rescue. We all need saving. And imagine if we all acted on our faith like this woman did. What kind of difference would that make in your life? What kind of difference would that make in your family's life? And maybe even ultimately our community here. If we all started living according to a faith in God to save. Not, not just a, a one-time momentary thing, but each and every day you get up. That God is here to, to meet with you. To willingly meet you in your brokenness and then to come and make you whole. What would that look like? I think it would look amazing. And I would be excited to see that happen in your guys' life and even in my life too and see what kind of a difference that would make here in Florence and in your lives today. Let's pray.